0: hey mark hey dennis do we still need to remind people that we don't dispense legal advice on this podcast yeah we do yeah we probably do there could be stupid people listening yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. no legal advice not at all
1: hostile work environment exactly hey an appropriate workplace topic hostile work environment The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Mark. Welcome to Hostile Work Environment.
0: Well, thank you. Welcome to Hostile Work Environment yourself.
1: I'm pleased to be here. Me too. So I I have an observation to make. Really what? When we record two episodes at the same time. Yes. Yes. It's a lot harder to come up with something to lead in with way, on the second episode. <laughs> way harder. Like, I got nothing. <laughs> we got nothing. We sat here looking at each other going, well, what do you want to start with? Uh, I don't know. And... Duh. So consider that our opening. Um, we didn't really have any small talk for this. Well, and we're not going to burden you with useless small talk like usual.
0: No, 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 no. We're going to leap right into it after this quick, important message. Um I I was sitting here thinking, like, God, we just spent the last hour, like, unless, you know, those of you who listened last week, our last episode was all about workplace profanity followed by the most awful, wonderful, wonderful listener-submitted story about somebody's sexual misconduct that I've ever heard. It was...
1: Dennis was sitting here after we recorded that he... His jaw was just still on the floor.
0: Rarely have I been that close to a complete loss of words. And I I just sat here as we were about to hit the record button thinking like, God, I hope I managed to keep it clean for this next episode.
1: I'll call you on it if you don't. Well, we could always, you know, edit stuff
0: out. We heavily edit this podcast. As I'm sure, yeah, you're sure
1: you can tell about about that's it. what we do. Yeah,
0: because yeah, we have so much time to go back and edit out the meaningless chit chat that we engage in. That's right. Um, so I don't think this episode needs disclaimers, but it will talk. You know, one of the things that we will talk about is how somebody's non-workplace related sexual adventures might come back to haunt them in the workplace. And what can happen at work if that, in fact, does, does occur?
1: Well, that sounds sexy.
0: Very sexy. It's actually not that sexy of a thing. It's weird, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in the news a while back was the departure of the chair of one of the biggest law firms in the country. They're called Latham and Watkins. Brief disclaimer: One of my best friends used to work for Latham and Watkins. and she loved it very much. She was very happy there.
1: Yeah, I used to work on a firm that shared a floor with Latham. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They're,
0: they're a good firm.
1: They're big. They're big New huge, York kind of. Well, huge I think they're New York. Huge firm. Big, big, big.
0: And the chair of that firm stepped down recently after it was revealed that he had been engaging in a pattern of reckless behavior that started with sending sexually explicit messages to a woman he approached on behalf of a Christian men's group that culminated in threats to her husband to have her thrown in jail. Wow. Yeah. So this is That's all going to need some story. This is all still on the allegation stage. So these are we're, we're recounting what other people are alleging in lawsuits and stuff like that. So we don't know that this actually happened. But the chair of Latham and Watkins was a guy by the name of Bill Vogue. and he first contacted a woman who's not affiliated with the firm. And volunteered to help her engage in something called
1: Christian Reconciliation. But where where did he get her name from? Just
0: With a member of the New Canaan Society, Ah, which is where... So it wasn't just
1: some random reach out.
0: Vogue sat on the board of the New Canaan Society on, on behalf of one of its members. He reached out to this woman to help her engage in Christian Reconciliation. Presumably... She had had some falling out with some other member of this new Canaan society. And
1: she's not a member of the society or anything. It's unclear from what's been alleged. But
0: it looks like he had been asked to step in to help this reconciliation process. But shortly thereafter, he and that woman started exchanging graphic sexual text messages.
1: Of course, that's what you do when you're trying to help somebody else manage a relationship. And it's... Sounds like Christian uh, yeah. reconciliation to me.
0: Um, those messages have been provided to the press, which has reviewed them, and it looks like that they are legit.
1: Now, but it all appears to be consensual. It
0: all appears to be consensual at the moment, OK? So the woman, they had never met in person. He just like reached out to her and then they started texting, but had never been, you know, together. And it seemed like she was okay with it at that point. Where she became uncomfortable is when he tried to get her to come and meet him in a hotel room. OK. So he was trying to take it to the next level.
1: But at this point, they are engaging in sexual uh, texting, back and forth sexting, as one might say as the kids and, call her. and she's okay with that up until the point where he then says, "You want to get a room.": Right. She said no, and apparently the relationship
0: went downhill. Okay. She began to tell her story over the next several months in emails and texts and phone calls to Bill Vogue's own attorney, his assistant, his partners at Latham, attorneys at the Kirkland and Ellis Law Firm, which is another big, huge law firm, and his family. Oh. So she went out on a bit of a rampage to say, like, look what this guy's doing. Never mind that she was engaging Engaging in it as well. Part of it as well, yeah. So she wanted to speak to lawyers at another comparable size law firm. So she went out to Latham and Watkins, which is another firm much like. um, No, Latham is where he's. I thought he was. He's at Latham. She reached out to lawyers
1: at another firm. Right.
0: Okay. Kirkland and Ellis. Okay.
1: So Kirkland's the other firm.
0: And Kirkland is like Latham in size and scope and prestige. Huge. And started telling her story that she felt she had been taken advantage of. She wrote to them, this coming from a man who gained access into my life because he was representing a Christian organization. She then emailed other Latham and Watkins partners and said, I'm sorry, but I will have to tell Latham and Watkins. Bill Vogue knew I was in pain and he took advantage of that. They should have known about his character and what he does when he travels. I will not be a good person to hold back that information. What other women has he done this to? So this all came out within the firm of Latham and Watkins. And Bill Vogue was, you know, obviously trying to uh, cover this up. And initially he said she is a cyber stalker and got his lawyer to send her a cease and desist order outlining local felony cyber stalking and harassment laws and threatened civil and criminal action if she didn't stop. Latham became more and more aware. The firm's general counsel started looking into this, and in a statement that was issued last month, Latham said, Mr. Vogue tendered his resignation after making a series of voluntary disclosures to the firm's executive committee relating to his personal conduct. Mr. Vogue's conduct involved the exchange of communications of a sexual nature with a woman whom he never met in person and who has no connection to the firm. Mr. Vogue's conduct did not involve the firm, any of its clients, or its personnel. Mr. Vogue engaged in subsequent conduct relating to the matter that, while not unlawful, the executive committee concluded was not befitting the leader of the firm. So. Fair enough. Latham declined to elaborate on what the subsequent comment was. However, the press reports that in the months that followed this whole scandal, Mr. Vogue reached out to the husband of the woman involved. And he sent the husband a whole bunch of text messages that started out apologetic, like "Hey, I'm sorry, I did this," and ended up becoming menacing and threatening. Um, landing ultimately to say that I'm not threatening about jail; she will be in jail. And he he put,
1: he put all of that in text In text
0: messages. And always a wise choice, um, Mr. Vogue, who is married, also resigned from the board of the New Canaan Society. According to the New Canaan Society's website, it is a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and faith and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Fail. Oops. (laughs) So other than the scandalous nature of this and how much we love talking about it when other law firms, you know, faceplant publicly, it's always a joy. Sure. The reason I brought this up is I am fascinated by how somebody's personal, private, non-work-related activities come back to bite them in the butt at work. Happens a lot, doesn't it? So my question for you, Mark, is did Latham do the right thing?
1: I think they did here. Please tell us why. So I consider this a fairly fuzzy area, area legally, right? There's not a whole lot that's going to say what somebody's off-conduct, off-premises, off, you know, not on-duty, personal life right. stuff is going to do related to work. I mean, it, it, you know, in, unless you're learning something about a protected class or doing something right, like, then then there's much more legal Clarity, right. I guess, in some areas around like where you're not going to make a decision because you learned about somebody's protected class. Right. Or you should not make a decision because you learned about somebody's protected class through social media or some other way of obtaining that information. But for just bad behavior, happens all the time. Yeah. Right. And employers become aware of their employees' bad behavior or a criminal act. You know, social media has transformed that in so many ways, right? You have an employee oh, yeah. that you know, is doing drugs and they advertise it on Facebook. Now, notwithstanding the legalization or quasi-legalization of pot in a number of states now, right? You learn that somebody's violating a policy or doing something in their off-duty conduct. Because they brag about it. Because they brag about it. Which he didn't do. He he didn't do. However, let me get to one further step, which is where I think I get to be okay with this. Yeah. It was disruptive. No, that's true. And he did it. Right. If it turned out that it was that it it I mean, not that you can prove it necessarily one way or another, although with this case, there's texts and other ways of of putting it out there. You know, somebody starts emailing firm partners and going out into the media and creating an entire brouhaha around one individual that threatens the reputation of your entire firm. Oh, yeah. And it turns out that a lot of it's true. I don't have a problem with that. What if this it was case. false?
0: What if this guy had been unfairly tarred?
1: And it still maybe has that reputational. Yeah. Head. Then you get into a much more squishy ground for me. Not legally yeah. so much. I think legally you still make the decision that you feel is the right decision to make. Yeah, you may have to make a business decision. Right. It's a business call, not a legal call. Would I feel worse about that decision if it turned out that it wasn't true? I mean, do I know it's not true when I make the decision? Yeah. Right. Do yeah. I know that this is a fabrication, but I'm still making that decision based on on public demands and public perception and oh, yeah. and how it, right? Yes, it might be a business decision, but I'd be much like less likely to make that decision if I was confident that the allegations were not true. Obviously. right? I, I, yeah. I wouldn't feel right about it. It wouldn't feel like the right thing to do. It's more of an ethical issue. Then it's an ethical right? issue here. I'm not sure that I think Latham has a whole much of a, you know, a whole much of it. that's great podcast speak, much of a, of an ethical issue here for me.
0: No. I... If I was advising Latham, I would want to see what sort of employment agreement you have with him or what his partnership agreement says, because he may not be an employee,
1: depending on how their firm is structured. Right. But I think in terms of extrapolating the conduct to most employees in this country that do not have any sort of contract or contractual relationship and are just purely at will, will. right, is you want to think about how does that employee's conduct reflect upon the values that your company espouses,
0: yeah
1: Uh, right and if for example like what what's the nature of your business and what's the nature of the conduct right it would be one thing if um you saw somebody partying it up and boozing it up big time on facebook Mm. but they work for jose cuervo or something like that right right? and they're drinking tequila could be their job as opposed to if they work for a ministry right the reactions and reputational hit and, and priorities of any company is going to be very different depending on what they do.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um, are you swayed one way or another by the fact that he was in a leadership position?
1: I think that enhances it, certainly. Uh, does it change if it's a rank and file or if it's an associate at the law firm or or a non-attorney at the law firm and I find out these things I probably maybe would end up in the same place but it certainly wouldn't be reported in a way more likely it wouldn't be reported in a way that you and I are talking about it here because it's less likely to have hit the media no this made a splash because because of who it was in the leadership role one of
0: the leading law firms in the country
1: so I certainly think that 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 has an impact in terms of especially how it's going to be perceived and what the reputational hit for your organization is going to be right when it's out there in its public in that way
0: yeah so as difficult of a situation as i think this is for latham and watkins i think it was an ultimately an easy call it was the right decision for him if it in fact was his decision to step down yeah and if it was not his decision to step down it would have been the right call to make him right and Um, and i thought their statement was well written yeah, I thought so too. It was it was well done. Good job, Latham. Um, I need to give everybody a little bit of a warning here, though, in that if you're not in a leadership role and you were actually talking about a rank-and-file employee, especially one who is represented by a labor union, there's a whole lot of arbitration decisions out there that say, In order to fire a union employee for their off-duty conduct and have just cause under a collective bargaining agreement to fire them, there has to be a nexus between the off-duty conduct and the workplace. And the workplace. So you have to be able to show, like, it's not just us playing... Moral superiority and saying, well, you know, that's that's just bad that you did that thing You actually have to come back and show how it impacted work,
1: right? So there may be other contractual obligations Yeah, right uh, In the labor context or in an employment agreement, right? Right if it's a cost standard or a cause plus kind of standard Yeah, does the conduct actually hit or meet that standard and allow you to take the act that was taken in this case
0: and a lot of A lot of employment agreements have a clause in them that I love to talk about just because I love the words. It's called the Moral Turpitude Clause. And the basic idea there is that the contract would say if you engage in some sort of immoral action that could reflect badly upon us as a company, we have cause to end your employment here.
1: Right. And that's in many. And it's very subjective. It is very subjective. I mean, there's certain things that I think would always be there, but yeah, um, there are other behaviors that are going to be very much on the edge of that, right? What one person views as being morally unsound right. and could be every day for somebody else yeah, I mean, and be totally cool with it. Right. Are you the manager of a strip club
0: right, or are you the you know manager of a nursing home? Right. Would legitimately have different standards on what... Constitutes right. So, terpitude.
1: Right. And that's where the subjectivity comes in. And it's going to be between individuals and between employers and all. Right. So yeah, what that means, right, it just basically means if you have that in your contract, behave yourself.
0: Yeah. And if you face one of your employees who's not behaving themselves, look at their contract if they have one and make sure that what or you're the doing union is
1: consistent. Or the, or the union or the, contract. Yeah. Really interesting discussion. Interesting stuff. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dennis. We'll be right back uh, with a middle segment uh, to be determined during the break. Yeah, we got to, you know, that's why we take breaks. It's <laughs> really just to figure right, out. Right, we don't know what we're doing next. next. Like, Let's figure right it out.
0: All right, be right back. And we are back. Mark, take it away.
1: All right. We've got a cool story here. But before I start reading about this case, did you notice that there was something very interesting that happened in Portland this week? It'll be last week by the time this airs. But Yeah, yes. you were tweeting about it. Yeah. A um, Princess cruise ship arrived in town. I believe it was a Carnival cruise ship. But oh, yes, Carnival. Yes. Okay. And Huge boat. Right? A big, big, big cruise ship. Yeah. So Portland.
0: Usually not a cruise ship not not destination. A,
1: not, I mean, not even not usually. It is not. A cruise ship destination except for a tiny little cruise ship called the queen of the west which docks here sometimes though even that's usually up on the columbia river not coming down the willamette river which comes right down into the middle of portland right right we're 60 miles inland from the ocean so any boat that wants to come here has to navigate the columbia river for 60 miles through some pretty windy curves and go getting through the bar and astoria yeah it's not which easy is really treacherous um and so, from my house, I can see kind of the confluence of the Willamette and Columbia rivers, and I saw this gigantic cruise ship coming down the river. Now, we see big boats. Portland's got a really big port, but it's usually big container boats, like all the Toyotas
0: that end up right. in the Western U.S. come to Portland.
1: That's it's right. A big and they're distributed from, from here, right? Yeah. But this was a cruise ship. I looked it up. And that cruise ship is actually here to have some renovations done. Right. And Portland won a bid to have that done in the Port of Portland. Yeah. Which I have now learned has the largest dry dock in the United States. It does. I actually knew that. I used to represent said dry dock company. That's crazy. And it's really cool. And now out on Swan Island, just north of downtown, you can see the boat lifted out of the water. Wow. Wow. And I I'm drove by it the other day, out. and it is kind of just hanging up there.
0: Is there like like starfish and barnacles and stuff? I didn't get
1: there? that close. You know, I, mm-hmm. I saw it from the cliff about a mile or two away. But wow. you can see it kind of hanging there. It's really neat. Wow, crazy. Which is a great lead-in for this story. Well, which was about we'll ask, about. What does
0: this have to do with anything? But so
1: I think we, it has to do with this story. We have a cruise ship story. Oh, cool. So uh, a guy whose first name I'm trying to find here, but his last name is Van Wick. What's his first name? Van Wick. Jean-Luc Van Wick. Jean-Luc Van Wick. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a um, great name. He um, is employed or was employed as the assistant photo manager about, aboard the Emerald Princess, a cruise ship. And he claims that he suffered severe emotional distress when he was asked to shoot some photos of a crime scene that occurred on the ship during really? the cruise.
0: He's he's the guy that, like, takes pictures of, like, couples to
1: have as a souvenir, right? Yes. So the photographer was 16 years of standing with the cruise line said he had simply expected during his six-month stint on the Emerald from January twenty seventh, 2017 through July thirtieth, two 2017, to take quote-unquote fun and happy photographs of passengers.
0: Yeah, one would think, right?
1: But instead, oh. <laughs> the photographer said, the Emerald Princess on a seven-day voyage from Seattle to Alaska treated him as if he were a crime scene investigator, despite his lack of training. Oh, no.
0: While what what did sh- he have to shoot?
1: So while the ship was navigating U.S. waters, Van Wick, or Jean-Luc, was summoned to Christy Manzanares's cabin late at night on July 25th, only to find that her husband, Kenneth Manzanares, had allegedly killed her. Oh, my God. And ship officials expected Jean-Luc to take multiple pictures of the grisly scene. The scene, this is a quote, was grotesquely bloodied. Contained numerous bloody handprints all over the cabin. Wow. Splattered blood over the bedsheets and walls and had pools of blood throughout the cabin.
0: Oh, my God.
1: According to Jean-Luc's complaint. The ship's security officer ordered Van Wick, that's again, that Jean-Luc, with the captain's approval to thoroughly document the crime scene, which involved taking nearly 100 photographs of the cabin, the corpse, and Kenneth Menzanares who was later charged with murder by the U.S. Attorney's Office after the U.S. Coast Guard conducted an investigation. Wow. Jean-Luc, meanwhile, immediately suffered from severe emotional distress and anxiety, began shaking and panicking, and was unable to sleep for several nights following the incident. He has since been treated for PTSD and has recurrent nightmares, according to his complaint, which alleges the cruise didn't provide him with proper psychological treatment until November, more than three months after the incident. The cruise line, according to Jean- Jean-Luc, owed him a duty to use reasonable care in all aspects of the employment relation under the federal Jones Act. The what? The Jones Act. You don't know the Jones Act?
0: Is that like when you're jonesing for a fix?
1: No. No? What's no, the Jones Act? No, I was going to say something about the Smith Act. Smith, jones and smith anyway no um it's the act which governs maritime law
0: oh okay that answers the question that has been burning in my mind which is why isn't this in workers comp?
1: right it's this is something it's outside of regular u.s employment law oh, wow. and it's being dealt with under the jones act um which, according to the complaint, also um, alleges uh, general maritime negligence and other counts of infliction of emotional distress. I'm assuming negligent, not intentional. but You never know. Um, Jean-Luc is seeking general and punitive damages as well as damages for medical expenses and lost earnings. Um, the case has been ordered to mediation. That's kind of the legal posture, which is how yeah. we found this case. But um, what do you think? Let's take the Jones Act out of it. What do you think about that? Man, you know,
0: we we joke around a lot about job duties and how everybody's job description always has that little clause that says, and other duties as As directed be assigned or as directed or what have you, right? Like, you know, you're hired to do a job, but you're also hired to do all the other stuff that kind of comes up in the course of your employment, right? I would never imagine in a million years that if I took a job as a cruise ship photographer, then I might have to shoot a murder scene.
1: Yes, I, I agree with that. And but yet, I hearing can, the article, I'm like, is that foreseeable potentially? That
0: somebody would get murdered on a cruise ship? Yeah.
1: Like, have you never read, like, Agatha Christie? Right. I'm like, totally great. could happen. Murder mystery stuff, right? You could get pressed into duties that are outside of your normal course and scope. Yeah. As part of your employment. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sympathize with our good friend Jean-Luc, who may not have had the, you know, just the mental wherewithal. or wherewithal is the wrong word. But just to be prepared for that situation, which having done this for 16 years, it's clear that he'd never had to do before right i
0: mean if you are a professional crime scene photographer i would imagine that you sort of build up a certain amount of resistance to the you know horrific stuff that you see so that you can process
1: it psychologically better
0: but when you i mean
1: i just say for myself after 16 years of only doing fun and happy i'd want to probably (laughs) hurt myself (laughs)
0: well there's that there's a reason you and I became employment
1: employment lawyers lawyers,
0: right (laughs) listen to last week's episode yeah Um, and I know you know we've talked about this that we do so much of the stuff that we do that we become callous to Mm -hmm. a certain
1: extent you know I feel bad for this guy
0: I feel kind of bad for this guy I don't know that it was negligent to ask him to do that I, I, I kinda wanna know a few other things. Like, did they did they say like, Hey, we want you to go to the Manzaneris' cabin? And then he like shows up and there's like blood and gore. Right, everywhere. and they didn't they
1: didn't set him up for or had he previously disclosed a particular sensitivity to anything or why would he though? You know, it's like, Hey, you know, I'll but, take but, the job. But on negligence the cruise ship, negligence but No gore. Right. But negligence would come along with a knowledge of something. Right. Like well, I negligently allowed him to do that even though I had knowledge or I allowed him to do that, even though I had knowledge that there was an issue with him doing that. If they I didn't think this
0: theory could easily be like you, anybody, you should know that anybody's gonna freak out when they see a grisly murder scene. Yeah. I
1: mean yeah, it strikes me that it would have been really nice if they asked him.
0: And I yeah, I, I wanna and, know, did they ask him? Did he volunteer to do this? Right, I mean,
1: he's alleging that he was pressed into it against his will. Yeah,
0: but you know, sure. But what does that actually mean,
1: right? And if they did, let's they, say they did press him, though,
0: could they have said like, "There's a security manager that you mentioned, yeah"? Could he have said, "Hey, can I borrow your camera, right?" If you don't want to do this, I'll do it.
1: But would the security manager have the phot- photographic skills to use it and know how to frame a shot and know how to do all of the and things maybe that you and I, as amateur, you more than me, if amateur photographers, know her? important things when you're documenting something using photographs
0: pictures shot by a ham fisted amateur that you can't even tell what you're looking at right
1: so that could have been a right like maybe that manager doesn't know about lighting but the coast guard was on the way so could the
0: coast guard have could they have just waited and say like you know we're just gonna we're just gonna back out of here and shut the door or did the coast guard show up and they're like we don't have a camera
1: right <laughs> or somebody who knows how to use one or so yeah right like and then does your crime scene get spoiled because it's waited too long or something i i mean i don't yeah. i'm not a crime scene investigator so
0: nor 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 am i but I have watched a lot of um crime procedurals on television so I know all about it yeah just you're, you know, you're an expert i'm an expert and i would say just you know back slowly out and lock the door and wait for the legal authorities to arrive but if this happened anywhere but on a boat i think his all of his claims would have been um fallen under workers, workers comp exclusivity yeah. which basically says if you are injured in any way on the job your sole remedy is to go to the workers comp process and and get relief there unless it is an intentional injury yeah so that's that's the one exception.
1: Um, yeah, though, we often see negligent or intentional infliction of emotional distress that gets accompanying other employment actions that don't fall under... Workers' comp, and it's still it's it's still that form of an injury.
0: To get out of it, you need to show what is intentional for purposes of workers' comp may be negligent in
1: other circumstances, but there's still an element of yeah. I'm not sure whether this gets entirely picked up by workers' comp or not in a vacuum. I'm not sure. Neither of us are
0: workers' comp lawyers, by the way, as is evident.
1: Any workers' workers' comp lawyers out there want to set us straight on that? We'd be super interested.
0: I'm thinking though that if this was on land and he was the hotel photographer or better yet the 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 guy that shoots pictures at the ride at Disneyland right that guy and there was yeah. like a murder at Disneyland and he had to shoot it I think it's a workers comp case but I kind of want to research that out because
1: I'm not, I'm not so confident in that. We'll try and figure that yeah. out
0: and give you an update in a future episode or tweet
1: it or something. Anyway, thanks, Mark. You're very welcome. Good case.
0: We'll be right back with a story. non-disgusting. Less disgusting than story. last
1: week's story. That's for certain. Can't be more. Yeah. All right. Be right back.
0: And we're back. All righty. It is time for everyone's favorite segment, the listener-submitted story. Mark, what do you have
1: for us today? Well, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've had any sort of discussion around uh, pronunciation of a certain acronym. So I have a FEMLA. FEMLA. Also known as the Family
0: Medical Leave Act or the FMLA to some people.
1: So this comes from... Uh, Ali from not Wyoming. Ali from not Wyoming. Welcome <laughs> which to the I found Very amusing, given our given our pressing on the state of Wyoming. Which have we mentioned yet that we got two downloads? I think we've tweeted. Did we do it. that? We tweeted we've it. We tweeted it. I'm
0: not sure we've said it on the air. But yeah. we have a, a as of this recording flood of downloads from the state of Wyoming. Uh, both of them. Two. Two downloads from Wyoming. But that is an
1: infinite increase over their previous zero downloads. Which is true. And we have now covered all 50 states plus the District of Columbia and Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico.
0: Guam is on the clock. Yep. I would note, however, that we received two downloads from Wyoming and then nothing. Crickets chirping. Yeah. So, Tumbleweens rolling. So they, they, they downloaded. They,
1: that Right. Usually we can tell if somebody likes us because when they.
0: It was like a butt download.
1: <laughs> but download like you the know, accidental download you put
0: your phone in your back pocket and you sit on it and you download the hostile work environment right so i'm not buying that we suddenly have like some you know yeah, wyoming and, and, or following. maybe
1: it was just out of a sense of duty to somebody else who put them on notice that wyoming hadn't listened and then they're like yeah we'll just download it but we won't actually listen to right. it Right. Um, or we'll listen to it and we'll be like maybe that's our one-star review on iTunes that we have. Could could have a rating. We have a couple of one-star ratings.
0: One of your in-laws was traveling to Utah and went through Wyoming and found a stray bit of 3G and downloaded an episode or two. I don't know. (laughs) In any event, we have two.
1: It does complete all 50 states, the collection.
0: That's true. It's like the quarters. We
1: now have a quarter from each state in our little collector's book. That's right. It's exciting. Okay. So this story... From Does not come from Wyoming. Not Wyoming. All right. I have a story for you, uh, which may or may not be podcast appropriate. Well, it is because I'm reading it, it. If not, feel free to get a few minutes of entertainment from it. We are all together. <laughs> also, if you've listened to last week's episode, you know that the bar for not appropriate it's, is insurmountable. Yes. Uh, and barring that, print it out and make it into a paper airplane, which we sounds like fun, but we're not even going to print it out. No, because we're environmentally friendly. Friendly. That's right. Um, I'm the head of HR and my company hired an outside, outside sales manager for our organization for less than one month on the job. She called me one morning. Oh, sorry. After less than one month on the job, she called me one morning to say that she was suffering from a mental illness, was under the care of a physician and needed some time off to recover from a situational depressive episode. Uh Oh, for the record. Let me state that I am a mental health advocate and serve as a caretaker for a family member with a progressive mental illness. To say that I am sympathetic to mental illness would be an understatement. But back to the employee. So noted. Thank you. I advised her that she was not FEMLA, FMLA eligible. Because she'd only been there a month, right? Right. She'd, she was brand new on the job. Usually you have to be there about a year, right? About a year, Unless state leave laws, like in Oregon, well, it's six 12, months. it's 1, 1,250 hours, Yeah, right, which is course. usually about six months. Yeah. Uh, but that given the appropriate documentation from her health care provider, we would approve her for leave as a reasonable accommodation under the ADA. Which now,
0: kicks in immediately, upon yeah, hire. higher.
1: Naturally, I communicated the same in writing, uh, to her in writing, including her uh, FMLA notice of eligibility. The doctor completed our ADA form recommending the employee take four weeks of leave to recover. After four weeks, you'll never guess what happened. Eh, I bet I could. Actually, of course you will. The doctor recommended another four weeks (laughs) of leave. Another four weeks. As the employee was making progress but was still unable to perform the essential functions of the job. In my experience, this was not unexpected or unusual, and the doctor indicated that the employee's return was imminent. After this, however, we granted three additional four-week leave extensions, ultimately expressing concern to the employee and the doctor that the leave was becoming indefinite. Yeah. This was mostly prompted, though, by the doctor changing his answer to the question, will the accommodation allow the employee to complete the essential functions of the job, from yes to probably and then to maybe with a Mm. question mark. As we continued to engage in the interactive process and seek clarification— The employee provided us with documentation from a second doctor. It's important to note that the decision to provide input from a second physician was made by the employee and not at our request. The second doctor provided a laundry list of accommodations that would allow the employee to return to work. Keep in mind that the employee's role was that of an outside sales manager. This is where it gets a little amusing. All right, so some of the accommodations included... One, the employee cannot travel outside of her home when she feels overwhelmed. Outside sales manager, do your job. Yeah. Two, the employee would benefit from collaborating with a group. Three, the employee should only have one-on-one calls and meetings, and there should never be more than one person in the room with the employee to allow her to focus. So, how is that even reconcilable with number two about collaborating with a group? Hard to imagine. Four the company should recognize that the employee, quote-unquote, knows herself best. Okay. Upon seeking clarification, including asking the employee and the doctor what their definition of the word (laughs) collaborating meant, the employee finally put in writing that she could not perform the essential functions of the job with or without accommodations. We then terminated the employee. Which makes sense. Imagine my surprise, not... When you got When I received a call from her attorney accusing our company of FMLA interference. I explained to the attorney that the employee was not FMLA eligible and had been informed of this in writing on the date of her original leave request. I further provided a copy of the correspondence where the employee stated that she could not perform the essential functions of the job. I have not heard from the employee nor her attorney since. Good. You shouldn't. Um... I'm happy to report that the story does not come from the South, but unfortunately, it does not come from <laughs> Wyoming either. Well,
0: that narrows it down to um, about 40
1: other states. Yep. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work.
0: Oh, well, thank you.
1: Love the story and thanks for submitting it. So I thought that's an interesting one. First, you know, just around accommodations under the ADA. Yeah. Um, how do you think they did there? I think they did it perfectly. I think so, too. I mean, that's, that's like textbook awesomeness
0: right there. Um starting off with, they, they recognized that even if you don't qualify under the FMLA or any of the state leave laws, you still qualify under the ADA. As soon as you walk through the door, um, there's no qualification period for the ADA. If you have a qualifying disability,
1: you're covered by the act. So it begs a question, which we have talked about before, but I think it's always good to reiterate this question. How long do you have to accommodate someone with leave as the accommodation that's reasonable under the ADA. Right. And this is where it
0: becomes a little bit of art, not science. Totally. And the legal standard on there is that a leave of definite duration can be a reasonable accommodation. Can be. Can be. It doesn't mean it always will be. But a leave of indefinite duration, meaning I'll come back to work when I feel like it, is never a reasonable accommodation.
1: When does the leave become indefinite if it's continually extended by another definite period?
0: And that is where it's the art, not the science. And what we need to look at is a pattern. Um, it It is reasonable to have a doctor come back and say, this person needs four weeks of leave. That's fine. It is not unreasonable. For the doctor to say, like, yeah, I said that, but as things progress, it looks like they're going to need another two, three, four weeks. But when that becomes another four weeks and another four weeks, now we're into unreasonable territory because it's yeah. starting
1: to look like an indefinite leave. Right. But at any given time, they can say, oh, it was only another couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. And that's what, where I've seen these become really problematic is the, yes. when it's just, oh, just two more weeks. Oh, just two more weeks.
1: Right. And now, a lot of HR people just forget that that person exists. A couple of other points on this. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is what we're talking about. I, and I want to say, don't quote me on this, it was the Sixth Circuit that recently came out with an opinion? Yes, I think that's right. Um, so Ohio, Upper Midwest area. Ohio,
0: Michigan, Kentucky, Tennessee.
1: Yes. I used um, to practice in the Sixth yes. Circuit. Yes. So um, what that court said is that the accommodation – or leave as an accommodation under the ADA can be reasonable, right. But only for a very limited period of time beyond any um, expiration of FMLA. Right. And they were talking about just a couple um, months, right? And and or even just a couple of weeks. Um, it did not go very far, and that you never have to accommodate it beyond that period. The rest of the country, not so much. Not so much. However, one other thing that I would put out there as very important relevant factor when I'm giving advice on this yeah. is you still have to look at reasonableness. Right. Right. And reasonableness can come down to a whole host of factors. In particular, how large a company are you? Yes. Right? What are the nature and duties of the job in yeah. question, right? So, if you're Walmart, and the individual is a greeter at the front of the store. Right. And you have a million of them around the country and you can hire somebody and they come and they go and it's it's a highly fungible position, right? right? So people are right. coming and going in and out of that position.
0: Great example.
1: You can hire somebody else into that role without usurping the position of the person who's out on leave, right, and have somebody at at a reasonably low rate of pay and very easily accommodate that leave Probably indefinitely. Right. That doesn't mean you have to go on indefinitely. Not indefinitely, but... But, it, but Walmart could do six that indefinitely. Months? Seems reasonable. Right. As opposed to a company that's only got 50 or 60 employees, right? And right. And everybody has their own separate function and there's nobody else who knows how to do your job. Yeah. They're dependent on outside sales and you're the only outside salesperson. Right. You can't have somebody else come in and cover that and you can't really right. hire somebody else to come in on any sort of permanent basis to replace that so do you have to find and train somebody on a part-time basis yeah. how long do you have to do that for right especially when you don't know when you're coming back that can be very thorny for a lot of companies yes to accommodate and it can be something that absolutely impacts their bottom line yeah we often see that's this with not executives reasonable. right um Sometimes it's
0: impossible to find a temporary replacement for certain positions, in which case a extended leave of absence might not be reasonable.
1: That's exactly right. So So like if you're
0: CEO or CFO... needs an extended leave of
1: absence, you might not be able to cover for him. Yep. and That might be very hard to do. That could sink or the business. Or it could be very expensive to hire somebody else into that in a consulting right. role or something and, and that may or may not be reasonable under the circumstances. It's always going to be yeah. looking at the specific circumstances of a specific situation. We can't tell you here one way or another, and we certainly aren't right. giving any legal advice on no, that. No, 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 no. But it's always going to be circumstance-dependent. And that's always something you should be thinking about when you find yourself in this situation. If you are the HR person for Walmart, you're going to have a very different analysis than the HR person for a smaller midsize right. auto body shop in a locality or something like that yeah. where you have a volume of work and it has to get done.
0: Very good. Thanks, Mark. Great reminders.
1: Yeah, and that was a great email. I thought it was that was a great really, email. really, really well set out. Yeah, The story... And the situation uh, and the legal situation that, that kind of comes through that. And I thought I thought our listener did a great job of handling the situation. It made
0: our jobs much easier. And it was bodily fluid free.
1: Yes. Which
0: we appreciate.
1: Yes. Occasionally. So thanks. You know who else I want to thank? Who do you want to thank? I know who you want to thank, but I'm going to... Who do you want to thank? Well, I want to start with Jason Gardner. As always. But also Heidi Pancake, Jordan
0: George... Ryan Vesey, Tammy Kravitz, Liz Large, Colleen Coco, Sean McGuire, and a special big huge thank you to Laura Van Winkle, who just became our second $40 Hostile Work Environment patron on Patreon. Thank you, Laura. Um, Laura and Sean, I've reached out to and, and asked them both to appear on future episodes, I've heard from Sean. We're trying to figure out timing. I haven't heard from Laura yet. So, Laura, if you hear this, um, check out your, your Patreon email because we want to schedule you to, to come on. If you support us at the $40 a month rate, you can come on the show and tell one of your stories. So instead of writing it and having us, you know, butcher it,
1: you can come on and say whatever you want. Right? Other kind of awesome. Other perks of patreon Patronage.
0: (laughs) Well, if you contribute at the $10 tier or more, you'll have your name read out on an episode every so often like we
1: just did. And I believe at the, is it five or three, you'll get a a call out on our wall of fame on our website. That is correct. And anybody at any level, starting at a dollar a month, will get access to our as-yet-to-be-prolific Patreon-only episodes. But we have We're one up. On We're going
0: to record another one next week. Or actually, I should say this week, which by time this airs, has already been recorded and posted up to Patreon. So unless we screw it all up, there's there's a couple Patreon-only episodes up by now. And we plan on having many more. Indeed. Because we need to give a thank you back to the people who have so generously supported, supported our podcast as it gets up and running over the last few months. So, thank you to everybody from the dollar tier on up. We really appreciate what you're doing. Well, except one guy. There's one $1. Our first subscri- patron was I, kind he's of a, a jerk. Total jerk. He gave us a measly dollar, some guy named Mark Alafans.
1: I'm we, still giving a dollar a month.
0: Are you really? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're still on here. Yeah. Giving a buck a month. Yeah. Now, we I'm like on.
1: you too, Mark. Oh, thank you.
0: You've given us $6.
1: That means we're we're almost approaching six
0: months. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks, everybody. Seriously, all joking aside, we love our patrons. We also love everybody who follows us on Twitter. We are at HWE Podcast on the Twitters. And we've been having some really fun conversations with with some of our folks up there.
1: Absolutely. And look for a new mailing list uh, email to go out this week with some new announcements, including, we're hoping, fingers crossed, The announcement of our new Amazon swag store. Right. We are awaiting delivery of
0: the first sample because we don't want to push it too hard only to find out that it's, you know... Printed on tissue paper and or the resolution
1: is off and it's just a big blocky picture of nonsense. We're not quite sure until we test it. So, but we just want to tease that. Um, actually, by the time this airs, it very well may be that that email has been sent and and you'll all know about it. But
0: if somebody's not getting our, our, Email? How do they do that? Well, Just
1: go straight to our main webpage at hwepodcast.com and there's a sign up right there. Yeah, you should sign up. It's it, full of awesomeness. It's full of off- awesomeness, like, like w- once, the once every, every three, like months. three mm-hmm. months we get around to doing it. Which is great because we're not spamming people. Yeah, we are certainly not spamming anybody. Yeah,
0: we could be accused of many, many awful things, but spamming people's email is not one of them. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, give us time. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Mark. It's been a joy recording. I'm going to get out of the studio and enjoy the sunny weather. I'm going to go for a nice
1: drive and taste some wine, I think.
0: Ah, very nice. You're going to McMinnville, huh?
1: Yeah, down to that area. We're going to, to I've got a wine club pickup. Nice.
0: Enjoy. I did that yesterday. Cool. Yeah. Lovely being in the Northwest. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a week. Bye. We're finally going to get our drinks. Oh, chicken, chicken, yeah.